2: New season, out on Spotify
3: soon. Welcome to ParCast Crime Bites. We wanted to give our listeners some additional content to help them dive even deeper into the true crime world. Every week, in addition to your normal con artist's episode, we're exploring the most fascinating true crime themes covered across the ParCast network. We've collected short clips from some of our most popular podcast originals to help us explore ideas like motivation, method, and madness, and show how interconnected the true crime world really is. You can find the original episodes of these for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. A list of episodes that we used will be posted in the episode description. Today, we're looking at commentary from people who surrounded killers and criminals, Many times, serial killers are able to shield themselves from detection. Friends, neighbors, and co-workers might not have any idea that they're in the midst of a monster. How does this happen? Why are the people who surround a criminal sometimes blind to the wolf in sheep's clothing? We'll start with a clip from ParCast Original, Serial Killers, covering the infamous Ted Bundy. Bundy killed numerous women in the 1970s, yet he was able to pass as a family man. He was charming and affable to most people, and yet biographer Ann Rule described him as a sadistic sociopath who took pleasure from another human's pain and the control he had over his victims to the point of death and even after. When trying to determine what led Bundy to an extremely violent future, investigators looked to his past. Mundy had painted a warm picture of his youth, but others in his life did not always agree. Strangely, Ted's mother Louise echoed this saccharine picture of his youth. Even after his crimes were revealed, she described Ted as a very normal, active boy. Our son is the best son in the world.
1: And perhaps Louise truly did believe this about Ted. After all, he became increasingly skilled at hiding his less savory activities.
3: During his adolescence, Ted began his criminal career as a peeping Tom. He would sneak off in the evenings and prowl his middle-class neighborhood to masturbate while he watched women through the windows of their homes.
1: This voyeuristic streak eventually dominated more and more of Ted's life as a teenager. It became an all-consuming routine, and he would return to the same houses to watch the same women until the early hours of the morning. As far as we know, Ted was never caught, and as a result, Louise was never conscious of this deviant side of her son.
3: In fact, it seems no one was explicitly aware of Ted's darker inclinations. But his peers always knew there was something… off about Ted.
1: In high school, his classmates often said that Ted didn't seem to be all there. He was aloof and never got too close to anyone. He never went drinking, and despite developing into a relatively handsome young man, he never attended school dances or dated. At school, just like at home, Ted was a loner.
3: Of course, Ted's memory of his time in high school was, once again, different from reality. He recounted being perhaps a bit straight edge, but also claimed he was a good student and a talented athlete.
1: In truth, Ted's classmates remember him being both a mediocre student and a lackluster athlete. It seems Ted later overwrote his entire history with the version he wanted to be true.
3: In that episode of Serial Killers, even Ted Bundy's mother seemed to deny the severity of his crimes, calling him the best son in the world. We see that while she and Ted both described his childhood warmly, his classmates depicted the reality of the situation. Ted was an aloof loner who just didn't seem to fit in. Ted Bundy's reshaping of his history is similar to the lies spun by the subject of our next clip, Brenda Spencer. In this clip from Female Criminals, we examine the childhood of Brenda Spencer, who, at 16 years old, killed two people and injured nine during a mass shooting. One morning, she started shooting at the elementary school across from her home. Like Bundy, Brenda did not have many friends in school. After the crimes, one of Brenda's friends and several of her classmates told her story.
4: Susie Stewart, One of the few friends Brenda had would occasionally accompany them to Potrero. Susie said Brenda taught her how to handle a gun and they would practice at her house. She called Brenda an excellent shot. She said that they also engaged in more typical activities like watching TV, listening to music, and swimming at the beach. But they eventually grew apart. Susie developed more of an interest in dating and guys, and Brenda hadn't. Susie said, quote, between the two of us, I was the leader. She's the follower type," end quote. Possibly as a way to fit in,
1: Brenda would brag in front of her classmates. One student at Brenda's school, Stuart Heising, said Brenda was always talking about guns, bragging about the guns her father had.
4: Teresa said her sister would also, quote, "'Brag about taking heavy drugs,' but when she described their effects and what they looked like, I knew she was not telling the truth," end quote.
1: Susie Stewart agreed that Brenda didn't do drugs except for sometimes smoking pot and even drinking a beer made her throw up. This was confirmed by Brenda's father who said she occasionally had one beer, but no more than that.
4: Brenda's brother Scott described her as, quote, a happy person, though somewhat of a loner because she had so many interests. She spent much of her time taking care of her animals. She loved to read and write poetry, end quote. But Teresa reported that Brenda often wished she
1: had more friends.
3: In that episode of Female Criminals, Brenda Spencer's peers recounted her tendency to brag about things, such as guns and drugs, in an effort to fit in. In reality, like Bundy, Brenda was telling the story of a life she wished she had, full of friends and experiences. Psychologist Jonathan Fast later revealed the horrific sexual abuse Brenda suffered at the hands of her father and how it led to her deep shame, inferiority, and powerlessness. It's possible Brenda was trying to create that life she wanted at school because she could not control her life at home. And while Ted Bundy and Brenda Spencer turned to violence to change their self-perception, some criminals looked to good old-fashioned deception. Coming up we discuss the fraudulent journalistic pieces of con artist Stephen
0: Glass. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the show.
3: From the denial of a lonely childhood from Ted Bundy to the extravagant lies spun by Brenda Spencer... This episode of Crime Bites is diving into the commentary from those around criminals. In our final clip from ParCast Original Con Artists, we cover the rise and fall of journalist Stephen Glass. Over a three-year period at the New Republic magazine, Glass invented quotations, sources and anecdotes for the articles he wrote, even sometimes fabricating entire interviews with prominent figures. To avoid detection, he went out of his way to develop relationships with every person he worked with. This clip will reveal Glass's mannerisms around the New Republic office and how he duped his coworkers into believing his
2: credibility. Whenever someone needed coffee, Glass was the first on deck with a handout. He was warm, enjoyed indulging in office gossip, and was always self-deprecating. Whenever a senior writer checked out one of his pieces, Glass talked down about it, criticizing himself and his own skills. He weaponized his decade-long insecurity and made the elder scribes of the paper protective of him. Infamously, as colleague and friend Hanna Rosen wrote in a 2014 profile of Glass for the New Republic, his catchphrase was "Are you mad at me?" His fellow reporters, like Rosen and John Chate, placated his concerns. They felt that he just didn't understand his own talent yet. Whether this was conscious or unconscious, Glass implicitly understood how to display just enough weakness to others in order to gain their affection and therefore their trust but he was working them in the same way he worked Kelly. In Bissinger's Vanity Fair profile of Glass, former New Republic colleague Michael Crowley explained, the nickname for Steve was Hub. He was constantly on the make, constantly needing this steady supply of dish. He needed to have relationships with everyone. He just knew all the office gossip. He knew everything. That's why, to some extent, his reporting was credible. He knew everything inside the magazine. So why wouldn't he figure out what was going on in the world of his stories? Even as Kelly upped the rigour of the New Republic's fact-checking system, Stephen Glass knew how to work that too. His years as an intern gave him insider knowledge on what fact-checkers wanted from their writers. Glass always stayed late and made special notes to facilitate their process when checking his rough drafts. They were the grunts of the office, so if writers gave them a modicum of respect, it went a long way. However, this kindness disguised the fact that he was really just monitoring their process. If anything suspicious or questionable popped up in their fact check, Glass leapt into action and addressed it as quickly as possible. Like always, Glass seemed helpful, but he was actually self-serving. But his style didn't impress everyone. There were some reporters at the New Republic who perceived his self-aware narration and heavy use of casual quotation as a stunt. These were people who had served time overseas covering atrocities and political coups and all sorts of serious business. These were people like fellow New Republic writer Chuck Lane. Glass's flamboyant characters had no place in the hard-hitting journalism that Lane practiced. So far, Glass's success had come about because Michael Kelly enjoyed this particular fresh style. But Kelly wasn't long for the halls of the New Republic.
3: In that clip from Con Artists, Stephen Glass's co-workers recounted his pseudo-kindness and gossip ingestion. Glass seemed to be a master manipulator, scamming his way around strict fact-checking measures and putting up a facade of credibility. After the scandal broke, Stephen's psychologist suggested he suffered from a need for approval, a need to impress others, and a need for attention. The psychologist indicated Stephen's extreme fear of inadequacy may have been the catalyst for his false news articles and for his behavior at work. When a criminal is exposed, their true nature seems obvious to an outside observer. But time and again, those who are closest to the criminal are blind to any red flags. Ted Bundy's mother believed that her son was innocent, even after he was convicted and sentenced to death. Brenda Spencer was written off as a troublemaker by her classmates, who had no idea she was the victim of horrible sexual abuse at the hands of her father. And Stephen Glass so carefully polished his facade that he was able to peddle lies in an institution that prided itself on journalistic integrity. Oftentimes, when we're too close to something, our perspective disappears, it's not until we leave the influence of the person deceiving us that we realize how obvious their plot was. Thanks for tuning in to ParCast Crime Bites. We hope you enjoyed this episode on commentary from those around criminals. We'll be back next week with a new episode on drug deals, examining the psychological motivators that are present in someone who is using or selling drugs. If you'd like to listen to the episodes we discussed today in full, simply search for our ParCast Original Shows, Serial Killers, Female Criminals, and Con Artists on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast Originals for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network.